just now. When we come to your word, sometimes we are flummoxed by it. We just then cannot understand it. And we just remind ourselves that spiritual truths are spiritually discerned and require the operation of your Holy Spirit who wrote the scriptures and enabled the scriptures to be written in the first place to interpret them to our minds. And we ask Holy Spirit to come and open eyes that are half blind and open the wide to see the truth of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Now I'm old enough to recall a radio program for children. Uh, we used to listen to it when we lived in Liverpool. If I remember rightly, two o'clock in the afternoon, maybe three o'clock, I can't quite remember. And it always began like this. Children, are you sitting comfortably? <laughs> then I will begin. Now, I, I'm not asking that of you this morning. All I'm doing is saying there's a use of the word comfort there, which we do recognize. Um, like when I was at boarding school, I used to hate wearing itchy woolen vests. That was just not comfortable. And we like to be comfortable. We have our easy chairs, our recliner chairs. Uh, we like to have decent suspension on the car for a long journey. That kind of comfort. But the comfort that is spoken of here, and likewise by Isaiah, in the Old Testament reading we had, has more the thought of encouragement or consolation. And the word comfort here is set against a background of suffering, of troubles. See that in verse 4. Now, of course, I am not going to embark this morning upon the whole question of why there is suffering in the world. You really can never get to the end of that anyway. But the fact is that there is suffering. And the fact also is that for God's people, there is suffering. So rather than ask the question, why suffering? We tend to ask the question, if we're going through some kind of trouble, why me? Why am I suffering? There are two broad responses that people will make to that. The first we would call moralistic, oh, I'm suffering because I've done something bad. Or other people may say to you, you're suffering because, ah. Like they did to Job, when Job suffered. His three friends were on about it the whole time. You must have done something wrong. And the other response, I would call cynical. How can a loving God allow suffering at all? And how can he allow it to come to me? These are not the only two responses, though. There is a third. 
in that book of Job, a wonderful book, great piece of literature, but apart from anything else. There is a third way disclosed. The three friends, Job's comforters, we call them, because there were no comforts at all, were out to find some fault. But he had said at the beginning of the book of Job, he was blameless. Job. He lived a righteous life. And then it was Job's wife who typified the cynical response, and she just said, curse God and die. Don't have anything to do with this God. And right in the middle of the book of Job, we have it in that wonderful aria in Messiah. Job cries out, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last day he will stand upon the earth and though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, I am not any other. And so the cry of faith comes through the blue. And this is the third way which I want to bring to you this morning. Incidentally, if you're asking the question, why is there suffering in the world, and why do I suffer? I would ask you to first of all answer this question. Why did Jesus have to suffer? Now there was a man who gave no sin, no guile was found upon his mouth. He was absolutely perfect, the spotless Lamb of God. But he suffered, and he suffered more than any of us ever will. So answer that question. Why did Jesus have to suffer then? It wasn't that he'd done anything wrong. It wasn't that, uh, but he was God, and he suffered. Now Paul connects the death of Jesus Christ, the suffering of Jesus, with the comfort of which he speaks here, and connects our suffering to that suffering. You see how he says, just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So I want to point out two things here about this comfort. Firstly, that God is comfort. In fact, he's called the God of all comfort. And secondly, that this comfort, which we receive from God, is meant to overflow into the lives of others who need that comfort. The first thing, the God of comfort, you see that in verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Now the actual word comfort in the Greek is paraklesis, and the word para, you can understand immediately from something like paramedic, 
Well, why a, paramed a paramedic is a medical person who comes alongside me when the ambulance turns up, as we had recently. The ambulance uh, people are at your bedside, alongside you, taking you, carrying you. So it has that sense of God coming alongside. And the incarnation itself is just an expression of exactly this. A few chapters later, in this book of Second Corinthians, Paul talks about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He came down to our poverty to bring us his comfort. God is this because you remember how Jesus when he was instructing his disciples before he went to the cross about the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come to you, the comforter, the literal word is paraclete, the one who comes alongside me. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The in the Book of Common Prayer, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, we have this statement about God. His nature and property is ever to have mercy and forgive. It is in the very nature of God that he is merciful, that he has comfort. Sometimes he's called the God of all mercies, as well as the God of comfort. And yes, he's the God of all comfort. Sounds <coughs> to me there is no other real source of comfort apart from this comfort which is in God himself. And so it is God speaking in Isaiah chapter 40, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says your God. There is a a lovely phrase which was near the end of what Heather was reading, uh, which is so touching, the picture of God as a shepherd. And you remember how he says, he tends his flock like a shepherd, he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them, now listen to this, close to his heart. That's our God. And he gently leads those that have young. Do you remember the story of Elijah? After the tussle with the prophets of Baal, he, he ran away. He was so dejected, depressed, he lay down and he slept. He was very weak. And then an angel of God came to him. And there's a lovely little detail in that story, which is this. The angel touched him. Touched him. He said, rise up and eat. And there was a fire of coals and breads, and sufficient for him to eat, and then he went to sleep again. And the angel came again, touched him. Elijah, rise and eat. Do you see the God of all comfort? 
when Elijah was at his extreme point, almost denied God and everything that he had been before God. Paul himself, he wears his heart on his sleeve in this letter of 2 Corinthians more than anywhere else in all his writings. Somebody's once said, it's one thing to enter into the thoughts of a great teacher, but it's a higher advance to enter into his heart. Well, in this letter, more than anything else, we enter into Paul's heart. Incidentally, that makes the, this letter, above all the others, notoriously difficult to translate from Paul's original language because he's struggling to express himself and he gets all contorted kinds of expressions in order to try and say what his heart wants to say. But he is the one who knows the comfort of God. And there's a whole catalogue of troubles which Paul lists here just to give evidence that he had troubles for sure. He was stoned, left for dead, was shipwrecked, he was <coughs> lashed, he was imprisoned, so, so many things, and yet he knew the comfort of God. How could he sing at midnight in a prison, in the inner prison, in the stocks, the praises of God, if he didn't know the comfort of God in his heart there with silence. So the God of all comfort. Now I hope Maureen won't mind that I asked for a copy of the prayers that she gave us last Sunday because there was one particular section of that that I just wanted to bring to you again. This is all to do with knowing that God is the God of comfort. So the prayer goes, in the darkness which is ahead, be our guide. In the pain which awaits us, be our balm. In the sorrow which will fill us, be our secret smile. In the sickness which will inflict us, be our inner health. In the laughter which will be part of us, be our lasting Thank you for that. God of comfort. But I said secondly, overflowing comfort. We see this in verse 4. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. <coughs> His sufferings overflow into our lives. In a way, our sufferings are a mirror of His. They're the common lot of humanity as a result of the curse upon the creation, as a result of man's sin. But just as we share in His sufferings, we share in His comfort. His sufferings overflow into our comfort and overflow further to those who suffer. 
Now again, I'm betraying my age that I remember a hymn like this. Have you had a kindness shown? Pass it on. Twas not given for thee alone. Pass it on. Let it travel down the years, let it wipe another's tears, till in heaven the need appears. Pass it on. Did you hear the loving word? Pass it on. Like the singing of a bird? Pass it on. Let its music live and grow, let it cheer another's woe. You have reaped what others sow? Pass it on. Have you found the heavenly light? Pass it on. Souls are groping in the night. Daylight gone, hold thy lighted lamp on high, be a star in someone's sky. He may live who else would die. Pass it on. His comfort to me. And let me just remind you that uh, Jesus himself is able to comfort us because he knows everything about our suffering. Listen to these words. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tested in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. To use the old King James Version, he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. <laughs> he sympathizes, which means I should sympathize in turn with others. We often ask, is there any purpose in the suffering that I'm going through? There is, for sure, I can assure you of that, particularly if you are a child of God, but here's one purpose anyway to be able to pass comfort on to others. We have received many cards, not just for Christmas, but um, as a result of the challenges that we've been going through this past year, and here's one that arrived just two days ago, a little bit of it just to indicate an example of what it means for somebody to pass on comfort. This is a friend who will be nameless, who has stuck close to Isabel for years. We are very grateful, she says, that Jesus holds you both in his mighty hands and that his ways are higher than our ways. May you continue to know how deeply loved you are and that Jesus is with you each step of the way. It's very simple, but it's very meaningful. One wonderful example of comfort overflowing. Do you know the story of a man called Joseph Scribbett? He was born in Ireland in the early 1800s, near Dublin. And as a young man, he was engaged to be married to a beautiful young lady. 
and um, the day before their wedding, not on the day, but the day before their wedding, they had actually arranged to meet up. And she was riding on horseback to meet him and was almost to the place where he was. And the horse bolted. And she was thrown into the river next to the track, hit her head on a stone and was killed outright. And he came to see her and looked into her dead face. Not a long time later, he decided to emigrate to Canada and uh, settled on the shores of one of the Canadian lakes. After a few years, he met another young lady. They too were engaged to be married. Second time round for Joseph. <coughs> And a few weeks before their due wedding date, she contracted pneumonia and she died. And again, he looked into the dead face of the person he loved. After that, he, I think he dare not marry. But um, he was a believer. Despite these things, all along he had been a believer through this terrible suffering. He heard that his now elderly mother was about to die back in Ireland. He, Joseph, had in fact, after the second uh, bereavement, taken a vow of poverty and devoted his life to giving away everything he had to other people. So he didn't go over to Ireland to see his mother, he couldn't afford it. But what he did instead was he wrote to her. And what he wrote, every one of you is very familiar with. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And he says, of that hymn, the Lord and I wrote it together. I think that's lovely. You see, the comfort which he had received from God, he passed on to his mother. And he never knew, of course, that that would ever go right the way around the world and be a source of huge comfort to countless people going through suffering. And we're going to see what a friend we have. <laughs>